Hello, funny people. Thanks for joining me here today on Four Cents a Podcast. We're going to have some fun because I've got something to moan about. Stay tuned. Hello, funny people, and welcome back once again to Four Cents a Podcast's first Halloween special, Four Cents Halloween, featuring Neil Gaiman's wonderful novella, Coraline. Um, I won't detain you too long here, as I promised. I I wanted to make sure that I did uh, just segue into this thing. And I also wanted to remind you all that... Neil Gaiman's, there's a wonderful adaptation, speaking of Neil Gaiman and his work, which I think in the last few episodes I managed to plug a little bit, available on Audible right now is the Neil Gaiman adaptation of Sandman, his, arguably, if not his magnum opus, uh, or his masterpiece, at the very least, it's, it's one of his monumental works. I'm slowly making my way through all of the volumes of Sandman myself, um, and uh, I'm just uh, completely bowled over by uh, how incredibly imaginative and unusual that particular piece of fiction is. Uh, And the artwork that was done by some of these artists just makes every single panel a joy to read, a joy to inspect, a joy to just look over. And even though Sandman, having originated as a graphic novel or as a comic comic book, is largely a piece of visual storytelling, I have no doubt that the audible edition of it, the audible adaptation, has got to be something worth, absolutely worth listening to. Uh, because if if anybody can think of a way to translate this monumental story to pure sound, which is what audio really is and why I enjoy doing it so much, because it is just pure sound, it's got to be Neil. Because he has that ability to take a story and transpose it into a new medium fairly well on his own. Let's not forget that uh, among Neil's other accomplishments, he managed to help co-write a script for a film. He's done it for a couple of uh, films, but the one in particular that I'm thinking of is the adaptation of Beowulf, which was done by Robert Zemeckis. It's one of the earliest uh, motion capture films. And it's a, it's a weird film to look at now because I think we've become slightly more keen on what good motion capture looks like and what good animation looks like. And in those days, that particular kind of animation was just in its infancy. Uh, and it was growing, it's grown more sophisticated over the last several years, over the last couple of decades, as a matter of fact. But looking at it now, but it's exciting. And 
to think that Neil was able to take that many-year-old story, that probably the oldest piece of English language literature that's out there, and make it work for the visual medium, make it work in some way. And the way he did it was by making Beowulf a slightly more flawed character, shall we say? Because in the original poem, if you'll recall, those of you who are listening to this who know anything about that, um, he's basically a picture of the chivalrous knight, the, the perfect hero, the seemingly flawless hero. And he only falls to the dragon because rather than allowing, rather than fighting the dragon with his fists, with his body, with his physical strength, which had always been his weapon, his body had been his weapon, he chose to fight it with steel, and steel can fail. But it is what it is, um, and he managed to do that. Um, and speaking of Sandman and, and uh, film and television adaptations, uh, let's also keep in mind that we get to look forward to the Netflix series based on Sandman, which at present, from a tweet that I saw earlier uh, to prior to the recording of this, According to Neil, is supposed to take us all the way through everything that has ever been published in what could be called the main Sandman cycle. So everything from Preludes and Nocturnes all the way through to the 25th anniversary special comic run, Sandman Overture, which is wonderful news to hear. Um, but anyway, uh, let, let's stop discussing that and let's get on to the main event of the evening so in this episode we rejoin Coraline after she's been trapped by her other mother in the second world in the alternate world the mirror world uh, and we see exactly what that world is like and, exa- and we begin to see the formulations of how she's going to work her way out of this to free herself and to free her parents so, with that said, I give you Coraline's chapters 6 and 7. Enjoy. Chapter 6 Coraline was woken by the mid-morning sun full on her face. For a moment she felt utterly dislocated. She did not know where she was. She was not entirely sure who she was. It is astonishing just how much of what we are can be tied to the beds we wake up in in the morning. And it is astonishing how fragile that can be. Sometimes... Coraline would forget who she was while she was daydreaming that she was exploring the Arctic or the Amazon rainforest or darkest Africa, and it was not until someone tapped her on the shoulder or said her name that Coraline would come back from a million miles away with a start and all in a fraction of a second have to remember who she was and what her name was and that she was even there at all. Now, there was the sun on her face, and she was Coraline Jones. Yes. And then the green and pinkness of the room she was in, and the rustling of a large painted paper butterfly as it fluttered and beat its way about the ceiling told her 
where she had woken up. She climbed out of the bed. She could not wear her pajamas, dressing gown, and slippers during the day, she decided, even if it meant wearing the other Coraline's clothes. Was there an other Coraline? No, she realized. There wasn't. There was just her. There were no regular clothes in the cupboard, though. They were more like dressing-up clothes, or, she thought, the kind of clothes she would love to have hanging in her own wardrobe at home. There was a raggedy witch costume, a patched scarecrow costume, a future warrior costume with little digital lights in it that glittered and blinked, a slinky evening dress all covered in feathers and mirrors. Finally, in a drawer, she found a pair of black jeans that seemed to be made of velvet night, and a gray sweater the color of thick smoke with faint and tiny stars in the fabric which twinkled. She pulled on the jeans and the sweater. Then she put on a pair of bright orange boots she found at the bottom of the cupboard. She took her last apple out of the pocket of her dressing gown and then took from the same pocket the stone with the hole in it. She put the stone into the pocket of her jeans, and it was as if her head had cleared a little, as if she had come out of some sort of fog. She went into the kitchen, but it was deserted. Still, she was sure that there was someone in the flat. She walked down the hall until she reached her father's study and discovered that it was occupied. Where's the other mother? She asked the other father. He was sitting in the study at a desk which looked just like her father's, but he was not doing anything at all, not even reading gardening catalogs as her own father did when he was only pretending to be working. Out, he told her, fixing the doors. There are some vermin problems. He seemed pleased to have somebody to talk to. The rats, you mean? No, the rats are our friends. This is the other kind, a big black fellow with his tail high. The cat, you mean? That's the one, said her other father. He looked less like her father today. There was something slightly vague about his face like bread dough that had just begun to rise, smoothing out the lumps and cracks and depressions. Really, I mustn't talk to you when she's not here, he said. But don't you worry. She won't be gone often. I shall demonstrate our tender hospitality to you, such that you will not even think about ever going back. He closed his mouth and folded his hands in his lap. So what am I to do now? asked Coraline. The other father pointed to his lips. Silence. If you won't even talk to me, said Coraline, I am going exploring. No point, said the other father. There isn't anywhere but here. This is all she made. The house, the grounds, and the people in the house. She made it, and she waited. Then he looked embarrassed, and he put one finger to his lips again as if he had just said too much. Coraline walked out of his study. She went into the drawing room, over to the old door, and she pulled it, rattled it, and shook it. No, it was locked fast. 
and the other mother had the key. She looked around the room. It was so familiar. That was what made it feel so truly strange. Everything was exactly the same as she remembered. There was all her grandmother's strange-smelling furniture. There was the painting of the bowl of fruit, a bunch of grapes, two plums, a peach, and an apple hanging on the wall. There was the low wooden table with the lion's feet, and the empty fireplace which seemed to suck heat from the room. But there was something else, something she did not remember seeing before, a ball of glass up on the mantelpiece. She went over to the fireplace, went up on tiptoes and lifted it down. It was a snow globe with two little people in it. Coraline shook it and set the snow flying, white snow that glittered as it tumbled through the water. Then she put the snow globe back on the mantelpiece and carried on looking for her true parents and for a way out. She went out of the flat, past the flashing light door, behind which the other Mrs. Spink and Forcible performed their show forever, and she set off into the woods. Where Coraline came from, once she were through the patch of trees, you saw nothing but the meadow and the old tennis court. In this place, the woods went on farther, and the trees becoming cruder and less tree-like the farther you went. Pretty soon they seemed very approximate, like the idea of trees, a grayish-brown trunk below, a greenish splodge of something that might have been leaves above. Coraline wondered if the other mother wasn't interested in trees, or if she just hadn't bothered with this bit properly because nobody was expected to come out this far. She kept walking, and then the mist began. It was not damp, like a normal fog or mist. It was not cold, and it was not warm. It felt to Coraline like she was walking into nothing. I'm an explorer, thought Coraline to herself, and I need all the ways out of here that I can get, so I shall keep walking. The world she was walking through was a pale nothingness, like a blank sheet of paper or an enormous empty white room. It had no temperature, no smell, no texture, and no taste. It certainly isn't mist, thought Coraline, although she did not know what it was. For a moment she wondered if she might not have gone blind, but no, she could see herself plain as day. But there was no ground beneath her feet, just a misty, milky whiteness. And what do you think you're doing, said a shape on one side of her. It took a few moments for her eyes to focus on it properly. She thought it might be some kind of lion at first, some distance away from her, and then she thought it might be a mouse close beside her. And then she knew what it was. I'm exploring, Coraline told the cat. Its fur stood straight out from its body and its eyes were wide while its tail was down and between its legs. It did not look a happy cat. Bad place, said the cat. If you want to call it a place, which I don't. What are you doing here? 
I'm exploring. Nothing to find here, said the cat. This is just the outside, the part of the place she hasn't bothered to create. She, the one who says she's your other mother, said the cat. What is she? asked Coraline. The cat did not answer, just padded through the pale mist beside Coraline. A shape began to appear in front of them, something high and towering and dark. You were wrong, she told the cat. There is something there. And then it took shape in the mist, a dark house which loomed at them out of the formless whiteness. But that's, said Coraline. The house you just left, agreed the cat. Precisely. Maybe I just got turned around in the mist, said Coraline. The cat curled the high tip of its tail into a question mark and tipped its head to one side. You might have done, said. I certainly would not. Wrong indeed. But how can you walk away from something and still come back to it? Easy, said the cat. Think of somebody walking around the world. You start out walking away from something and end up coming back to it. Small world, said Coraline. It's big enough for her, said the cat. Spiders' webs only have to be large enough to catch flies. Coraline shivered. He said that she's fixing all the gates and the doors, she told the cat, to keep you out. She may try, said the cat, unimpressed. Oh yes, she may try. They were standing under a clump of trees now beside the house. These trees looked much more likely. There's ways in and ways out of places like this that even she doesn't know about. Did she make this place then? asked Coraline. Made it? Found it? What's the difference? asked the cat. Either way, she's had it a very long time. Hang on. And it gave a shiver and a leap, and before Coraline could blink, the cat was sitting with its paw holding down a big black rat. It's not that I like rats at the best of times, said the cat conversationally, as if nothing had happened. But the rats in this place are all spies for her. She uses them as her eyes and hands. And with that, the cat let the rat go. It ran several feet, and then the cat with one bound was upon it, batting it hard with one sharp-clawed paw, while with the other paw it held the rat down. I love this bit, said the cat happily. Want to see me do that again? No, said Coraline. Why do you do it? You're torturing it. Hmm, said the cat. It let the rat go. The rat stumbled, dazed for a few steps. Then it began to run. With a blow of its paw, the cat knocked the rat into the air and caught it in its mouth. Stop it, said Coraline. The cat dropped the rat between its two front paws. There are those, it said with a sigh in tones as smooth as oiled silk, who have suggested that the tendency of a cat to play with its prey is a merciful one. After all, it permits the occasional funny little running snack to escape, 
from time to time, how often does your dinner get to escape? And then it picked the rat up in its mouth and carried it off into the woods behind a tree. Coraline walked back into the house. All was quiet and empty and deserted. Even her footsteps on the carpeted floors seemed loud. Dust motes hung in a beam of sunlight. At the far end of the hall was the mirror. She could see herself walking toward the mirror, looking, reflected, a little braver than she actually felt. There was nothing else there in the mirror, just her in the corridor. A hand touched her shoulder, and she looked up. The other mother stared down at Coraline with big black button eyes. Coraline, my darling, she said, I thought we could play some games together this morning. Now you're back from your walk, hopscotch, happy families, monopoly. You weren't in the mirror, said Coraline. The other mother smiled. Mirrors, she said, are never to be trusted. Now, what game shall we play? Coraline shook her head. I don't want to play with you, she said. I want to go home and be with my real parents. I want you to let them go to let us all go. The other mother shook her head very slowly. Sharper than a serpent's tooth, she said, is a daughter's ingratitude. Still, the proudest spirit can be broken with love. And her long white fingers waggled and caressed the air. I have no plans to love you, said Coraline, no matter what. You can't make me love you. Let's talk about it, said the other mother, and she turned and walked into the lounge. Coraline followed her. The other mother sat down on the big sofa. She picked up a shopping bag from beside the sofa and took out a white, rustling paper bag from inside it. She extended the hand with it to Coraline. Would you like one, she asked politely. Expecting it to be a toffee or a butterscotch, Coraline looked down. The bag was half filled with large, shiny black beetles crawling over each other in their efforts to get out of the bag. No, said Coraline, I don't want one. Suit yourself, said the other mother. She carefully picked out a particularly large and black beetle pulled off its legs, which she dropped neatly into a big glass ashtray on the small table beside the sofa, and popped the beetle into her mouth. She crunched it happily. Yum, she said, and took another. You're sick, said Coraline. Sick and evil and weird. Is that any way to talk to your mother? Her other mother asked, with her mouth full of black beetles. You aren't my mother, said Coraline. Her other mother ignored this. Now, I think you are a little overexcited, Coraline. Perhaps this afternoon we could do a little embroidery together or some watercolor painting, then dinner, and then if you have been good, you may play with the rats a little before bed. And I shall read you a story and tuck you in and kiss you goodnight. Her long white fingers fluttered gently like a tired butterfly, and Coraline shivered. No, 
said Coraline. The other mother sat on the sofa. Her mouth was set in a line. Her lips were pursed. She popped another black beetle into her mouth, and then another, like someone with a bag of chocolate-covered raisins. Her big, black-buttoned eyes stared into Coraline's hazel eyes. Her shiny black hair twined and twisted about her neck and shoulders as if it were blowing in some wind that Coraline could not touch or feel. They stared at each other for over a minute. Then the other mother said, Manners. She folded the white paper bag carefully so no black beetles could escape, and she placed it back in the shopping bag. Then she stood up, and up, and up. She seemed taller than Coraline remembered. She reached into her apron pocket and pulled out first the black door key, which she frowned at and tossed into her shopping bag, then a tiny silver-colored key. She held it triumphantly. There we are, she said. This is for you, Coraline, for your own good, because I love you, to teach you manners. Manners maketh man after all. She pulled Coraline back into the hallway and advanced upon the mirror at the end of the hall. Then she pushed the tiny key into the fabric of the mirror, and she twisted it. It opened like a door, revealing a dark space behind it. "'You may come out when you've learned some manners,' said the other mother, "'and when you're ready to be a loving daughter.' She picked Coraline up and pushed her into the dim space behind the mirror. A fragment of beetle was sticking to her lower lip, and there was no expression at all in her black button eyes. Then she swung the mirror door closed and left Coraline in darkness. Seven. Somewhere inside her, Coraline could feel a huge sob welling up, and then she stopped it before it came out. She took a deep breath and let it go. She put out her hands to touch the space in which she was imprisoned. It was the size of a broom closet, tall enough to stand in or sit in, not wide or deep enough to lie down in. One wall was glass, and it felt cold to the touch. She went around the tiny room a second time, running her hands over every surface she could reach, feeling for doorknobs or switches or concealed catches, some kind of way out, and found nothing. A spider scuttled over the back of her hand, and she choked back a shriek. But apart from the spider, she was alone in the closet in the pitch dark. And then her hand touched something that felt, for all the world, like somebody's cheek and lips, small and cold. And a voice whispered in her ear, Hush and shush, say nothing, for the beldam might be listening. Coraline said nothing. She felt a cold hand touch her face, fingers running over it like the gentle beat of a moth's wings. Another voice, hesitant and so faint, Coraline wondered if she were imagining it, said, 
Art thou... Art thou alive? Yes, whispered Coraline. Poor child, said the first voice. Who are you? whispered Coraline. Names, 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 said another voice, all far away and lost. The names are the first things to go, after the breath has gone, and the beating of the heart. We keep our memories longer than our names. I still keep pictures in my mind of my governess on some May morning, carrying my hoop and stick, and the morning sun behind her, and all the tulips bobbing in the breeze. But I have forgotten the name of my governess, and of the tulips, too. I don't think tulips have names, said Coraline. They're just tulips. Perhaps, said the voice sadly. But I have always thought that these tulips must have had names. They were red and orange and red and red, orange, and white, like the embers in the nursery fire of a winter's evening. I remember them. The voice sounded so sad that Coraline put out a hand to the place where the voice was coming from, and she found a cold hand, and she squeezed it tightly. Her eyes were beginning to get used to the darkness. Now Coraline saw, or imagined she saw, three shapes each as faint and pale as the moon in the daytime sky. They were the shapes of children, about her own size. The cold hand squeezed her hand back. Thank you, said the voice. Are you a girl? asked Coraline. Or a boy? There was a pause. When I was small, I wore skirts, and my hair was long and curled. It said doubtfully. But now that you ask, it does seem to me that one day they took my skirts and gave me breeches and cut my hair. Taint something we give a mind to, said the first of the voices. A boy, perhaps, then, continued the one whose hand she was holding. I believe I was once a boy. And it glowed a little more brightly in the darkness of the room behind the mirror. What happened to you all? asked Coraline. How did you come here? She left us here, said one of the voices. She stole our hearts, and she stole our souls, and she took our lives away, and she left us here, and she forgot about us in the dark. You poor things, said Coraline. How long have you been here? So very long a time, said a voice. Aye, time beyond reckoning, said another. I walked through the scullery door, said the voice of the one that thought it might be a boy, and I found myself back in the parlor. But she was waiting for me. She told me she was my other mama, but I never saw my true mama again. "'Flee!' said the very first of the voices, another girl, Coraline fancied. "'Flee while there's still air in your lungs and blood in your veins and warmth in your heart. Flee while you still have your mind and your soul.' "'I'm not running away,' said Coraline. "'She has my parents. I came to get them back.' "'Ah, 
but she'll keep you here while the days turn to dust and the leaves fall and the years pass one after the next like the tick tick ticking of a clock no said Coraline she won't there was silence then in the room behind the mirror per adventure said a voice in the darkness if you could win your mama and your papa back from the bell dam you could also win free our souls has she taken them asked Coraline shocked I and hidden them that is why we could not leave here when we died she kept us and she fed on us until now we've nothing left of ourselves only snakeskins and spider husks find our secret hearts young mistress and what will happen to you if I do asked Coraline the voice said nothing and what is she going to do to me she said the pale figures pulsed faintly she could imagine that they were nothing more than after images like the glow left by a bright light in your eyes after the lights go out it doth not hurt whispered one faint voice she will take your life and all you are and all you carest for and she will leave you with nothing but mist and fog she'll take your joy and one day you'll awake and your heart and your soul will have gone a husk you'll be a wisp you'll be and a thing no more than a dream on waking or a memory of something forgotten hollow whispered the third voice hollow 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 you must flee sighed a voice faintly i don't think so said Coraline. i tried running away and it didn't work she just took my parents can you tell me how to get out of this room if we knew then we would tell you poor things said Coraline to herself she sat down she took off her sweater and rolled it up and put it behind her head as a pillow she won't keep me in the dark forever said Coraline. she brought me here to play games games and challenges the cat said i'm not much of a challenge here in the dark she tried to get comfortable twisting and bending herself to fit the cramped space behind the mirror her stomach rumbled she ate her last apple taking the tiniest bites making it last as long as she could when she had finished she was still hungry then an idea struck her and she whispered when she comes to let me out why don't you three come with me we wish we could they sighed to her in their barely their voices but she has our hearts in her keeping now we belong to the dark and to the empty places the light would shrivel us and burn oh said Coraline she closed her eyes which made the darkness darker and she rested her head on the rolled up sweater and she went to sleep and as she fell asleep she thought she felt a ghost kiss her cheek tenderly and a small voice whisper into her ear a voice so faint it was barely there at all a gentle wispy nothing of a voice so hushed that Coraline could almost believe she was imagining it look through the stone it said to her and then she slept
Hey, funny people. That's it from me here on Four Cents a Podcast. I really do hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me here again next time. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and do try to remember to enjoy yourselves. Thank you.